more light of all these, all the help that the government is handing out. There was a story written to this to Don, and I can't say his last name, but he was the Secretary of the Agriculture in Washington, D.C. My friend Dan Hansen over at Honey Creek, Iowa, received a check for $1,000 from the government for not raising hogs. So I want to go into the not raising hogs business next year. What I want to know is, in your opinion, what is the best kind of farm not to raise hogs on? And what is the best breed of hogs not to raise? I want to be sure that I approach this endeavor in keeping with all the government policies as I see as I see it, the hardest part of the not raising hogs program is keeping an accurate inventory of how many hogs I haven't raised. My friend Hansen is very joyful about the future of the business. He has been raising hogs for 20 years or so, and the best he has ever made on them was $422.90 in 1968. Until this year, when he got your check for $1,000 for not raising 50 hogs. If I get $1,000 for not raising 50 hogs, then would I get $2,000 for not raising 100? I plan to operate on a small scale at first, holding myself to about 4,000 hogs not to raise for the first year, which would bring in about $80,000. Then I can afford an airplane. Now, another thing, these hogs I will not raise will not eat 100,000 bushels of corn. I understand that the government also pays people not to raise corn and wheat. Would I qualify for payments for not raising these crops, not to feed my hogs that I will not be raising? I want to get started as soon as possible as this seems to be a good opportun- good time of the year for not raising hogs and not planting crops. Also, I'm giving serious consideration to not milking cows. Any information that you have on the endeavor would be greatly appreciated. In view of the fact that I will be totally unemployed, I will be fil- filing for unemployment and food stamps and was wondering how long that process takes. Be assured, Mrs. Secretary, you will have my vote in the upcoming election. <laughs> Patriotically yours. <laughs> in this day and age, yeah, we got a lot of letters like that. People want to be rewarded for being unfaithful. As we looked at the story last week, there's faithfulness for things that people had done. Faithfulness for things that people had, had endeavored or had started to do. We looked at a couple of verses last time in Matthew 25. We see that it was said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. We need to be faithful over a few things. We need to be faithful over some things. In Matthew chapter 6, I'll just read this for you. This is what we were looking into some from last week. Just to catch some of you up who were not able to be here. Matthew chapter 6. In verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. When we lay up treasures on earth, do we all lay up the same treasures? We all have different treasures, don't we? where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. There are specific things that we can do down here on earth that lay up for us specific treasures in heaven. As we went over last week, if we do not know what those specific treasures are, he goes on to say in the verse, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. 
How can you tell me that your heart is in heaven if you don't know what treasures for you are there? Now, we all know the general stuff. Well, God's built me a house. We know that God has you know, streets of gold and pearly gates. But don't I have those too? Aren't we all sharing those things? Now, I have my house, you have your house, but we all have a house. Some have bigger houses and, and so forth. But there's some specific treasures apparently. And if I understand what those specific treasures are, then it changes what I do down here. Doesn't it change what you do on your job if you know what you are specifically rewarded for? Doesn't that alter some things? If you worked on a, on a commission sales job and you know that you sold, if you sold this type of item, you'd get more than if you sold this type of item. Well, where's your motivation? To sell that kind of item. And you would be out there to try and sell that. You have motivation to sell those things because there's a benefit for you. Well, there's a benefit in laying up treasures in heaven. Don't just sit here and say, I'll just get on through life and wait. No, you've got to know what the treasures are, what you've got to do to get there, to get those treasures there. For when you do that, then you will know your treasures there. And if your treasures there, your heart will be there. Now, he went on and we went on also to look at some of the things about Master. And last week, we we're looking more about the uh, Master that, that you serve. That it's hidden sometimes. We all want to say, well, yes, yeah, of course, I serve God. He's my Master. But there's ways to tell in the actions that you have and the things that you do whether God is truly your master or not. There's a lot of Christians that go around that they themselves are the master or something else is the master, but not God. And you can see it in, in some of the things that you do. So that's why we're endeavoring to get into this series because it's important that we are faithful. It's important. In fact, there's a scripture I put at the end of your outline. We'll get into it again here, but... I think I put it into your outline. Yeah, it is. 1 Corinthians 4, right around the middle part. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 2. Moreover, it is required in students, stewards, that one be found faithful. It is what? Required. It is required. Did you know that God requires faithfulness? Now, we looked at that story a little bit. We're going to be digging more into it as we go along. But we had the, the three, the three uh, servants and He handed out things to them. And the, the first two, he says, well done, good and faithful. Enter into your... And the third one, does he say enter into your rest? What does he say? Cast this one out into outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now there's debate, you know, whether this guy got saved or whatever it is. You can debate all you want. That doesn't sound like heaven to me. Does heaven sound like you? Outer darkness... Weeping and gnashing of teeth don't sound like heaven to me. I don't think I want to go there. So wherever it is, I just know I don't want to find out. I'd rather be on the side of being a faithful servant. And so he told us what it is that's faithful. Now, he didn't give us an example of someone who went out and worked with the things that he, that he was given and lost them. He didn't give us an example of someone who went out and worked with the things that he, he did and broke even. All he did was give us an example of one who hid it and two who were faithful. That's all he did. One was faithful with five, one was faithful with two. So that's all we really have to work with. And that's what we had to look at. If Jesus wanted to put a fourth example in there of something else, he could have done it. He made up the story. 
And you make up the story, you can make all the parts to it that you wanted there to be. So he apparently didn't want that part in there. But go over to Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 6. Most men will proclaim each his own goodness. But who can find a faithful man? Now, I put this in in some other translations. I tried to keep as many of them in your outline as I could. Had to drop out one of each of these, but I'll, I'll read them to you. In the message, it reads this way. Lots of people claim to be loyal and loving, but where on earth can you find one? <laughs> Isn't that the way that it is, though? Don't a whole lot of people say that they're, you can trust me? I'm loyal? <laughs> the Amplified, many a man proclaims his own loving kindness and goodness, but a faithful man who can find? There are many who say, you can trust me, but can they be trusted? Young says, a multitude of men proclaim each his kindness and a man of steadfastness who doth find. Let's go back to the message one though. Lots of people claim to be loyal and loving. Lots of people claim to be loyal and loving. But where on earth can you find one? In other words, they're rare. They're rare. Loyal people are rare. That's what he's saying. Amplified. Many a man proclaims his own loving kindness and goodness. But a faithful man, who can find? Now this is in the, in the Proverbs, in the Word of God. Many people go out there and say, I'm faithful, I'm loyal. And I'll bet you, if you look at your life, you're saying, well, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty loyal to God. Yeah, I'm pretty faithful to God. But God is saying, now God's looking down on mankind and God is saying, whole lot of folks down there are saying they're loyal, but I'm not finding many. That should scare you. That should scare you. If God is looking down on this planet, looking down on us, says a whole lot of folks out there are saying they're loyal, but I'm not finding many of them. In Proverbs 25, verse 14, whoever falsely boasts of giving is like clouds and wind without rain. Now, I like the New American Standard on this one. Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of his gifts falsely. The Message Bible, like billowing clouds that bring no rain is the person who talks big but never produces. <laughs> like billowing clouds that bring no rain is the person who talks big but never produces. What's God interested in? He's interested in production, isn't He? In the story that Jesus gave of the servants, what was God interested in? Their faithfulness, but in the end result was their production. That they did something. That their faithfulness produced something. A whole lot of attitude in this, this day and age of people say, reward me because I meant good. I intended good. I had good intentions. just didn't work out that way. They want us to reward them on that. Ah, God was, let's see some production on the thing. Because God says, if you've got my power, you've got my love, you've got my word, and it's going to produce. Be faithful with it. The New Century Version. People who brag about gifts they never give are like clouds and wind that give no rain. People who brag about gifts they never give are like clouds and wind that give no rain. You've seen that before. Clouds and wind coming by. You've got storm clouds, wind blowing. And then it all goes away and nothing happened. And you were hoping for some rain maybe to water something. Nothing happened. 
People who brag about gifts they never give are like clouds and wind that give no rain. It is important that you give the gifts that you have. It's important that you put them into use. It's important that you don't go bury them out in the yard and save them for God when He comes back. It's important that you put them out there and put them into use. You've got to be faithful with it. Hebrews 13.5 says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For He Himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Let your conduct be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. How many times have we looked at another person who has different gifts, different ministry? If I had what they had, oh, what I would do with it. I would be faithful if I had that. I'd put that to work. Uh huh. But I don't have that. I have this. And if I had your gift, I'd be doing this, 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 and this. Uh huh. I don't think God's so interested in that. God says, what are you doing with what you got? Now, there was a reason why the man with two only got two. There's a reason why the man with five got five. And there's a reason why God only gave one to the man he gave one to. He didn't just say, you know, let's reach in that hat. Oh, it says five. All right, we give you five. Let's reach in again. Oh, it says two. Let's give you two. There's reasons for it. When that servant came on up, what does he look at? Master knows his servants, doesn't he? I'm going to give you five. Now you, I'm going to give two. But the thing is, that person was faithful with two. And what's neat was, God gave them the same reward at the end for being faithful with two they did with faithful with five. Except, in the new kingdom, the one was ruler over more than the one who was faithful with two. And he could handle more. Don't be, don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed if you can't handle more than two. God says, you can handle two. I'm going to give you two. And you can come and say, I handled two. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You handled the two I gave you. What I gave you, you did with what you could. Good for you. Enter into your rest. I put in your outline this. Making a claim is not the same as making an impact. Making a claim is not the same as making an impact. God wants you to make an impact. God wants you to do something with what it is that you have. It is more important how others view what you do than how you view it. It is more important how others view what you do than how you, you view it. Because every man views himself as what? Loyal. Lots of people claim to be loyal and loving. But where on earth can you find one? See, see, it's not so important that I say I'm loyal. It's not so important that I say I'm trustworthy. It's not so important that I say that. It's not so important that I see myself that way. It is important that other people do. Because the Word of God says, lots of people see themselves this way, but not too many are. Have you ever said something to somebody? They come up to you, can I say something to you in confidence? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the next day it's out. You didn't even last a day. Get out there and tell, start telling somebody about it. What happened? Now turn over to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22. I know this is going to be just a favorite series, everybody. Y'all are just going to love this one. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parable and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. And they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen, fatted cattle, are killed. All things are ready. Come to the wedding. 
But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his own business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. And he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore go into the highways and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. And when the king came in, to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to the servant, Bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Now, there's two places you can read this. I believe you can go over to Luke's Gospel too and read this. And we'll look into probably that one some other time. And in the Luke's Gospel, I believe it's where they gave all the excuses. Well, you know, I just got married. Well, I just bought a field. I've got to go see it. All the different excuses they put out. How did those excuses hold up with God? He wasn't too impressed with the excuses, was he? He didn't like that a whole lot. And all these folks, in this part of the story, not only find out that there was excuses that they made, but here they actually took the servants, abused them, beat them up. That's taking lightly. That's what the Word of God says here, that they took lightly that request. Were they loyal? Were they trustworthy? Were they faithful? No. And they certainly showed it. But I bet if you asked any of them, what would they say? I'm loyal. I'm faithful. I'm trustworthy. Because every man, or most men, see themselves as faithful and true. So he went out and got some others. But as he did, he got a hold of one. They came. Now he came. He came to the wedding feast. The other guys didn't come. He came to the wedding feast. Isn't that what God wanted? The master wanted He wanted him to come to the wedding feast. So the one comes and he's standing there. doesn't have a wedding garment on. Probably refers to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Didn't put that on. That's what I have to imagine. But anyway, he didn't have it on. And why don't you have a wedding garment on? And the man was speechless. It's better than trying to make excuses before God. But he was speechless. So the king said, kick him out. He's out of here. But he showed up. It is good to show up. I'll tell you that. It's good to show up. But show up and be prepared. Don't just show up. Show up and be prepared. Some people think they're faithful just because they show up. You ever run into people like that? I'm here. I showed up. Well, can you get that over there? Oh, I can't do that. But I'm here. I showed up. <laughs> now, faithfulness is more than showing up. Of course, you've got to show up first. If you don't show up, kind of tough to be faithful. But we put this in here. With me, excuses work. But not with God. How many of you have excuses for why you didn't do something? How many of you ever made a promise to God? God, I am going to, I'm going to have more study time. I'm going to have more prayer time. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to serve you this way. I'm going to, whatever it is, I'm going to do something. And then something comes up and what do you have for God? Excuses. I would have. I, I tried. I almost did. I was getting to it. But, you know, this came up. But I had this. And then there was. And then, you know. But then. We got excuses. Does God like excuses? What does God like? 
He likes, he likes production. He wants to see something. Now we're going to go through the Old Testament, New Testament. We're going to look at stories. We're going to look at people who did this. I'll just give you a little preview of it. What about Saul? When Saul went out and he was given an assignment from God, go out there and kill them all. And he comes on back and he says, I did it. And Samuel says, well, what's this bleeding of sheep that I hear? Oh, that. Well, you know, the people, they wanted to, uh, you know, just keep some of the best stuff and bring it on back and sacrifice it to God. And what was said? God desires obedience more than sacrifice. God desires obedience more than sacrifice. He wants you to obey Him. I want you to do what he said. Now on that day, Saul lost the kingdom. Because God said, that's it. I have repented of making Saul king. I'm going to go out and find me another. And he did. Went out and found another. Saul was done. He still stayed in that position, but he was done at that point. Excuses work with me. They don't work with God. Don't you feel better after you make excuses for why you didn't do it? Sure you do. So why do I make so many excuses? Why do I make so many excuses? Well, as we said, it is required, it is required that a steward be found faithful. It's not requested. It's not hoped for. It's required that a steward be found faithful. Now, let's say tomorrow you go over to your bank. Is a bank a steward of your money? You go over to the bank and you have an account. And let's just say for round numbers that you have $1,000 in that account. And you go over there and you're going to make a deposit into that account and you ask for a balance on it. And they gave you a balance. You deposited $80 and they gave you a balance of $580. What would you say? Oh, hold on a minute. I have $1,080 in this account. Well, yes, you did, but we lost some of it. Sorry about that. If we find it again, we'll give it back to you, but you know, we lost it. Oh, okay. So what'd you say? What would you do? You were a steward of my money, and I require that you would be faithful. I had a thousand dollars in here. I gave you eighty. I expect a thousand eighty dollars in here. Now. Now what do you how much do you feel good about leaving that money in there? How many are going to keep it there? You're going to pull that. One act of, of uh, they lost your money. One act. What are you ready to do? Pull your money? Close that account? Go find some other steward. Why? Because you require your stewards to be faithful. You take your car over to your mechanic. And you think something's wrong with it. And they tell you something that's wrong with it. And they fix it. And you go on home. Pay $465. Get on home and the problem is still there. What do you do? Do you require that they be faithful? Sure you do. So we require our mechanics. We require our bankers to be faithful. But what do we require of us? Let me ask you a question. What happens if your telephone line is down when you get home? What would you do? Would you call up, use your cell phone, or a neighbor's phone and call up the company and say, my phone's down. Oh, that's all right. Um, 
Let me see. We can get you in in three weeks Monday. What do you think about that? Your power goes out. We'll get to it. Give us uh, four or five weeks tops. Are you okay with that? So you require... What do you require out of your utility people? Faithfulness, don't you? Faithfulness. But yet, we keep going to God and say, well, God, I know I let you down, but give me four or five weeks. Call me back. Yeah, I realize that I lost a $500 out of the $1,000 account. I realize I lost that, but you know, give me another shot. How do we expect God to be so much less? It is required of a steward to be found faithful. That's not exactly a refrigerator verse, is it? I would take a poll sometimes. How many Christians have this verse on their refrigerator? <laughs> it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. I think it ought to be. I need to be faithful. In Proverbs twelve fifteen, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But he who heeds counsel is wise. These aren't in your outline. If you want to write them down, you can. Proverbs twelve fifteen, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But he who heeds counsel is wise. Proverbs sixteen two. All the ways of, of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. Proverbs 21, 2. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. What's the point he's trying to get across to us? Everybody thinks I'm doing good. When you turned in a paper in high school, what did you think you deserved? I mean, sometimes we got honest with ourselves and said a B, right? But most times we said, I deserve an A. And if it comes back D, how many of you are upset? This is unfair. This wasn't deserved. Because every man thinks their way is right. Every man thinks they're faithful. Every man thinks they're true. When the truth of it all is, most of us are not. But here's the good news. You ready for a little bit of good news? <laughs> all of us can be. Every single one of us can be. What's important is that we don't keep on doing the things that the Lord says make us unfaithful. And we do the things that make us faithful. That we open ourselves up to counsel. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. Let's get some counsel from God's Word. Let's find out what is it to be faithful. How is it that I can operate and be faithful? You're going to have to shed some things that you thought about faithfulness. Because some of us thought just if I show up, I'm faithful. And apparently that's not the case. Did the third steward servant not show up when God handed out the stuff? Didn't he show up? Did that count? Ananias and Sapphira, did they show up? Did it count? Adam and Eve, did they show up? Did it count? <laughs> but we like to think that just because I showed up, it counted. There's more to it. Well, that's as I view myself. How about as I view others? It is so much easier to see the unfaithfulness of others than my own. Isn't that the truth? That's true. Whew. 
I tell you what, I don't know if you have a disease here, but it sure is easier for me to see where you're unfaithful than where I'm unfaithful. It's a whole lot easier. I can tell, tell you pretty quick. Quit doing that. Stop doing that. Look at myself. Well, I'm not sure. I'm doing pretty good. Why is that? Because lots of people claim to be loyal and loving, but where on earth can you find one? Proverbs 20 and verse 6 again. In Matthew 6, it said, remove the log from your own before you remove the speck from your brother's. But what do we want to do? We want to remove what's in somebody else's eye and forget about us. But he's trying to get us out of that. When you have your children, example with your children, how many of you have kids and they're growing up? Can you not? In fact, I ought to tell you this first. Faithfulness, folks, is not an inborn trait. You are not born faithful. It is a learned trait. There is not a soul in this earth who is born with faithful genes. Faithfulness is a learned trait. When those kids of yours are growing up and you see them being unfaithful with some of their things, what do you do? Try and steer them in a direction to be faithful with it. When they take a something and they're not using it for what they're supposed to be using it for, you train them. When they pick up your breakable things and they're carrying around the house, you know, they're not going to be faithful with that like you would be faithful with it. So what do you do? You take it away. They're not ready for this yet. Eventually down the road, you hope that they will be. But they're not ready for it yet. And so you have this child and they have, you've been telling them, clean up your room. They don't clean up the room. They're not faithful with it, are they? You tell them, take out the trash. They don't take out the trash. They're not faithful. Clean up the kitchen. Do the dishes. They don't clean up the kitchen. They don't do the dishes. They're not Faithful. You say, if you see something undone, fix it. And they don't. They are not faithful. But then comes the day. They turn 16. They want a driver's license. And maybe after some battles, you finally go through and you get them the driver's license. And they want to use what? They want to use what? Your car. Not their car. They want to use your car. What do you look at when you think about giving the keys to your car? Do you not look at a past record? And what kind of things do you see what they did with? Do you see how they handled cars in the past? Let me see what your driving record's like. They don't have one, do they? Why? Because they just got their license. So before you give them the keys to your car, your means of getting back and forth to work, your means of, of doing things, before you do that, what do you need to see? Faithfulness. Trustworthiness. Now, if you ask that child, what's that child say about their record of faithfulness and trustworthiness? I'm there. And I have been faithful. I've been good. What's your account? Hmm. Well, you're, you're seeing some holes, aren't you? Because it's easier to see it in someone else and everyone thinks they're faithful and true. Not everybody is. But you look for faithfulness in what? In order to trust them with a car. Things you ask them. Cleaning the room, doing the chores, whatever it is that you ask for faithfulness. What you are doing, without even knowing it probably, what you are doing is you are mimicking the pattern of God. 
you have mimicked God's pattern. You may not have even been aware of it. But when you do that, you mimic God's pattern. I'll take you over to a scripture. Luke chapter 16. Verse 10. We looked at this before. He who is faithful in what is, is faithful also in? He who is faithful with chores is faithful in? Cars. Right? Isn't that what it is? Aren't you looking for faithfulness in something small? Because you have this determined that if you are not faithful in cleaning your room, you are not faithful in cleaning up after yourself, you're not faithful in doing the things that I asked you to do, if you are not faithful in that, will you be faithful with something larger? Why have you come to that conclusion? Because there is a pattern. We establish patterns. We establish patterns of faithfulness. We establish patterns of trustworthiness. We establish patterns of loyalty. You cannot tell me that if someone comes up to you and says, I need to tell you something, I need to tell you it in private. I need to be just between you and me. That if you go out and tell that to anyone, you cannot tell me you are a trustworthy person. And if God observes that you cannot be trusted with what a brother or sister says to you, then how would God be, be right in trusting you with what He says to you? Because He who is faithful in, is faithful in much. He who is faithful in little is faithful in much. So he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon money, who will commit to you, to your trust, the true riches? So get this, folks. In God's view, money is a little thing. Isn't that what he says? He who is faithful in little is faithful in much. He who is unjust in little is unjust in much. If you cannot be trusted with money, who will trust you with? True riches. So God is calling money small potatoes. He's calling it least. So when God has given you a thousand dollar a week job, and you sit there and say, Oh God, if you give me a ten thousand dollar a week job, you know what I can do for the kingdom? What's God going to say? What are you doing with a thousand dollar a week job for the kingdom? Well, I, I don't have any room on a thousand dollar a week job to do anything for the kingdom. But if I had a ten thousand dollar job, I would have room then. He who is faithful in you establish patterns. If you do not show God a pattern of handling a thousand dollar a week job, you think God is going to trust you with anything more? If you want God to trust you with it. But even besides that, he's not even just talking about money here. He says, if you can't be faithful with money, I can't give you what's really valuable. Isn't that the way it was with the kids? I mean, when they're, when they're little kids, aren't they playing with plastic toys? They don't break real easy. 
But then as they move up, they begin to get other things that can break. And you see how they are with those. And then they move up to even more breakable things. More precious things. Would you put a gold ring on a two-year-old? Wouldn't be a good idea. They'd probably be swallowing and eating the thing. May not break it, but they'd probably swallow it. Because he is faithful in little. He's faithful in much. You are establishing a pattern. Now he goes on. And if you have not been faithful in what is what? If you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Now don't get mad at me. I didn't say it. If you want to establish your faithfulness, your pattern of faithfulness, you've got to be faithful with what belongs to someone else. And be faithful and do it the way that someone else wants you to do it. If you are not faithful with what is someone else is handling it the way they want you to handle it, then God says, what? You're not going to get your own. Because you've got to first off be faithful in what is someone else's. Alright, well we like that one. No servant can serve two masters, for he will hate the one, love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other, and you cannot serve God and mammon. We talked about some of those truths before. You've got to be faithful in what is little before you can be faithful in what is much. We looked at how I view myself and how I view others. This is how God views it. God is looking for faithful people. If you want God to find you, you must do what He says to get noticed. Isn't that right? You may want Him to notice on what you want to be noticed on, but God says, this is what I notice. When you're faithful and little, I see it. And I reward it by being faithful with more. We're giving you more to be faithful with. When you're faithful with money, then I'll trust you with the true riches. So be faithful in the little stuff. Like money. Be faithful in the little stuff. Be faithful in what is in others. Because that proves you are to be trusted. Be faithful in what belongs to someone else. Ministry, whatever, job, money, whatever it might be. Be faithful with what is someone else's. You got to borrow a car from somebody, give it back to them better than they gave it to you. Be faithful with what is in others. So that you can be trusted with what's your own. So how am I faithful? Three things. How am I faithful? How is it that I'm going to get noticed for being faithful? Put three things in here for you. First off, presence. Be present. Be present. Just put in there present or presence. Whatever one. Present probably fits in pretty good. Three things I got to be. First off is present. Second is prompt. And third is potent. Be powerful. Suck it to them. Be present, be prompt, and be potent. Be effective. Don't just be satisfied with showing up. Don't just be satisfied with being prompt when you show up. But when you get there, you be ready. You be potent. If you're going to teach, pray. Get yourself ready for that thing. Study. If you're going to minister, pray. Find out what God wants you to do. Be ready. 
Put everything that you can in it. Because it's easy to start backing off on something. Aren't there situations where people were present, prompt, impotent for long periods of time? And we can get wore out after a couple of weeks. I mean, we can hear this and go, now, all right, I'm going to be faithful and we're faithful for a week. All right, God. You're going to establish a pattern. You've got to establish a new pattern. You've got to break the old one. And don't you sit there and say how long it is that God needs to see faithfulness out of you. If your children came to you and now they want that car, they got the license, they want that car, they want to borrow the car. And you point out, well, you haven't been faithful in this and haven't been faithful in that and haven't been faithful in this and they set out to be faithful for that and they are for a week. Are you ready to give them the car? <laughs> no, they haven't established a pattern. They establish a change of behavior. A change of behavior, folks, is not faithfulness. A change of behavior, especially when it's for something, is not faithfulness. Faithfulness is doing this because I am a servant of God. Who was your master like we were talking about last time? Who is your master? Why do you do it? Why are you faithful on a job? How many of you have started ever somewhere in your history, started a new job, got involved in that job, you were faithful in that job, and because of the unfaithfulness of other people, you backed off? You didn't work as hard? Took longer breaks? Didn't study? Didn't prep as much? Ever done that? Your faithfulness was dependent on someone else. You let that rub off on you. Guess what? You weren't serving the master you're supposed to be serving. You serve God. That's the master that you serve. He's the one that you, that you want to do that for. Don't let other people pull you down. So what if they don't work as hard as you do? You ever had that thought come up? I work twice as hard as those people over there. And I get paid almost the same amount. Oh, I don't like that. And I worked over at Kelsner's. I did the work of two people. They told me that all the time. Every time I came in there, they'd tell me, you do the work of two people. I did this station and that station. Did it all the time. That's just the way that I worked. That's the way it was. Other people didn't like it. Sometimes they got mad at me. In fact, they did get mad at me. They liked it better when I was on the road. Some of the, the ladies who work around there, I think I told you the story, we used to make cocktail sauce and I get so frustrated because they make cocktail sauce and in between they had to do a break and re remix the stuff. And the whole place would uh, just shut down for 15, 20 minutes between each batch of cocktail sauce. What would happen was everybody would stop what they're doing and they would fiddle up and they'd get all the, all the jars in there, put all the lids on, put them all in boxes. And then after it was all done, someone would rise to the occasion and make the next batch of cocktail sauce and everybody else would sit around and wait. And I saw that and I despised it. And so I positioned myself in that run that I was in the spot. And as soon as I heard that slurp that the cocktail sauce was run out, I stopped capping or whatever it was. I stopped immediately. And I immediately grabbed for the ketchup, cut the bags, and I filled that bin with cocktail sauce before everybody else finished capping the bottles and putting the stuff back in. I had it all mixed up and I had it ready to go. I had that machine running before they had all their stuff done. We didn't skip a beat. And then they would all go and break. I hate breaks. Every two hours they required a 15-minute break. I despised breaks. I don't take breaks when I work. 
I work straight. My wife does the same thing. They take breaks over where she's at and she doesn't do it either. I despise breaks. Always have despised breaks. And so they would all go into the break room, take 15 minutes off. And so I was, well, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to keep this thing going. And I did. And my production manager, he was the same kind of mentality that I was. And he didn't want to have breaks either. And the two of us, we kept those things going. We kept the machines running the whole time everybody else was off there on a break. And we kept it going. And we set, every time we, we both were in there, we had a crew, we would set new records for cocktail sauce for the day. And he kept lots of it. And he'd say, oh, we beat it. Or we, we got uh, 50 more boxes to go. And we're going to, oh, we get those 50 boxes out, believe me. I love breaking new records. But they didn't like it. In fact, my production manager came up to me and says, you know, they, the ladies don't like it when you're here. You make them work too hard. I said, that's tough. I told him, I said, that's tough. When I'm here, they're working. And he says, well, I agree with you. Well, I just want you to know they don't like it. I said, that's okay. I can take it. And I did. I didn't get, I didn't get to in there too often, but I didn't like, the, I didn't like taking breaks. Just because they were slothful doesn't mean I'm going to be slothful. I'm going to work hard. Well, they, you, are they paying you more? No. Don't matter. They're paying me to be here. I'm going to give it my all when I am here. Because you know what? I work for someone else. Who is it who says He would reward me when I do my work as unto God? God does, right? Remember we looked at last week? Where your treasure is? Where your treasure is? You see, if you put an eight-hour day in and you work and you get that paycheck at the end of the week and that's what you worked for, that's your treasure. Guess where your heart is. But you see, when you get your treasure beyond that, Father God, you see the faithfulness I have? You see the effort I put in? You see? And God says, I see that faithfulness. I see that effort. I see what you're doing. And I will reward. If God is rewarding you and me for our faithfulness on our job, where is the reward? Have we just identified one of the ways we can store up treasures in heaven? Only one. But it's one of the ways. When you are faithful, when you don't look out at the unfaithfulness of other people, but you say, I'm good, Father God, I am doing this for you. This is the place that you have put me. These are the talents that you give me. This is the ability that you give me. And I'm here to make an impact in this place. And you put that effort out. You go on out there and do it. When Kelchers had me on the road, we had another driver who was out there on the road, he would pull in anywhere from 700 to $1,000 a day. I'd have that done by 10 a.m. The same production. I'd have it done by 10 a.m. They paid us the same amount of money. In fact, I think they paid him more to be on the road because he was worked for them longer. Am I going to be faithful because of the money I get? You've got to be faithful for another reason. And God says, you be faithful with what you have. Be faithful with what you have. How, what, yeah, but how long? You know, a week, two weeks? We talking three? I remember a guy in the Old Testament who was faithful for 30 years before he was rewarded down here. Don't you dare put a time limit on it because as soon as you put a time limit on it, you are identifying yourself as having a different master. As soon as you put a time limit on it, you have identified yourself as having a different master. We'll get more than that as we get, get on down. Anyway, would you all stand up with me?
Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that we can be faithful. No one stops us from being faithful. We weren't born faithful. We weren't born with the ability to be faithful. It is something we learn. It is something we can teach ourselves. Something that we can become. Father, we want to be found by You to be faithful. We thank You for the help that You give us on this. To relearn what faithfulness is from Your point of view. And to be faithful so that you stand up and take notice of that. We've all thought we've been faithful. We've all say, we all agree with Proverbs. I, I'm there, Lord. I'm faithful. I'm true. But you're looking around. You're not finding many. But you will catch, your eye will catch hold of those who are truly faithful. So, Father, we look to be that way for you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Before we go this morning, Lindsay had an update on her. On her son, some of you saw the email out. And some things were going on with that. I think I can get you a little more volume here to make sure everybody can hear you. Excuse me. With everything that's been going on the last two weeks, um, world news has re- really taken a back seat. Um, but when Reagan was in office, he understood the importance of Latin America. That is where our naval ships can go from the Atlantic Ocean into the Pacific Ocean. It, that Panama area with the canal is extremely important to our country. We lost thousands of men, as well as the South Americans and Latin American people, building that canal. And thanks to one of our presidents, it is now in the hands of the Chinese. So Reagan recognized that. That's why um, Nicaragua was so important to him. But in case you didn't read the email, my son lives in Honduras. It's one of the Latin American countries. Their president just signed a um, treaty, a a pact, with Hugo Chavez. And so that country now is going to be tipping towards communism if if something doesn't happen. That's, That's what I wanted to bring to your attention, number one. Number two, there is so much anti american um, um, emotions now since this treaty has been signed, even though the majority of the Hondurans are love the Americans, ha- so many of their families are illegally up here. They, they, they want to be a, a, a part of America, a satellite um, benefit of America. They understand that. But there are uh, the, the, the powerful minority who are very anti-American, trying to take over this country. We have a military base there in the, in the town where my son lives. The military base is there for the main reason for drug. You can sit down. Don't stand up. For drug, for drug um, uh, convoys. And, and so they have black cop, black helicopters, black, what do you call it? Black Hawk helicopters, and um, they—that's what they're—they're they're there. They're stationed there mainly for drug intervention, but also because of this. It's very close to Panama, and, so, and Honduras is is has been kind to United States. They benefit Hondurans benefit, and we benefit having that military base there. My son feels very comfortable in this town because the base is there. Well, this past week, anti. American 
um, slurs have been spray painted all over the the uh, military fences. The military um, people were under lock and key for for a week. One of their people, um, um, a man, his wife, and his son had gone out and they were killed in my son's town. It's a teeny weeny little town. They were murdered, and after that, so all, everybody was um, confined to the base. N no Americans were allowed off at this base. And like I said, anti-American um, graffiti is appearing all over the, the uh, sides of um, the stones, where the, uh, the mountainsides, where they spray most of their graffiti because the roads wind around mountains and, and, and these mountainsides are like walls where they can spray their, their information. But in the process, uh, process of that, my son has received eight now, a total of eight, life-threatening emails against him and his children. His wife is Honduran. But, you know, as a man, I guess you men understand, when you're standing up for the Lord, you can take almost anything. But, boy, you touch, you can imagine, if you, you go to touch your children, your whole stance for the Lord then takes on a, a different um, it's a different emotion. And so when we were faced with this, we had to take it as real. It, it's not like this country where you would have the, the, um, the police and, and the FBI or investigations on this immediately down there. You can't trust a thing. You can't trust anybody. The cops are all on the take. Everybody is out for money. And, and there's guards in every store. There's guards in every school with um, machine guns. That's that's just or you know handguns. That's just common down there. But even they're on the take. There isn't a single. Well, I'm sure there's a few honest people, but you can't, he cannot trust going to the, the local law to, to find out where this email came from. Luckily, God has put a retired CIA agent in the neighborhood where my son lives. He took the note, the, the email to him, and this man specialized in terrorist notes, terrorist um, emails and terrorist attacks against our country. That was one of his spe specialties. So he took the emails to the military base and found another man who also specialized in it, and they analyzed these emails. And it was their um, understanding that whoever wrote this email was, one, educated, because there weren't any misspelled words, and, and there are a lot of illiterate people in Honduras. So they figured out he was literate. Um, educated and probably somebody that knew my son intimately because of the details that were in the emails. So my son has been praying about and asking the Lord to give him wisdom to try to track down. They know that it came from an internet cafe, but, but you know, hundreds of people go in and out of these cafes. They know what time even the emails were sent, but that's about it. They can't track down. But my son knows that this man has been in this Internet cafe, and he believes uh, he knows who it is. So he has been now going out of his way to be kind, nice, considerate. Uh, not that he wasn't before, but just just going out of his way to treat this man with love 
and hoping that that will win this fellow's heart over. So I wanted to update you. We've been praying for wisdom because he, he kept the kids out of school for a couple of days, and then he let them go back. But he wasn't sure whether we sh- that he should pack up and come back to the United States when your emotions take over. You panic sometimes. And his first thought was he was going to leave with the kids and come back here. Um, the way the country is going, he, his mind was thinking, do I sell? I mean, both he and his wife have started businesses down there. Um, they're like Paul, they're tent makers and do mission work now both. So they're, they've started these small businesses to make some extra money. They just bought a new house a year ago. Um, they love their life down there, but now they're worried about the direction of the country, whether they're going to have to pick up and leave. So that's why, why the prayers, we coveted your prayers this, to pray for the wisdom. Well, yesterday, I decided to fast over it, and God doesn't answer us because we fasted. That's not why we fast, to get God's favor. You already have God's favor. I already have his favor. But you fast because I fast because I want want to fixate my mind on listening for God because we we aren't tuned into him all the time. We we, we start our morning with, with our devotions or, or at night with our devotions and we we put our mind on, but then there's a million things during the day that take our mind off of it. And and it's normal. But when you're fasting, that hunger's there and you're always thinking about your stomach's growling, you're thinking about the food and you're disciplining your body. No, I'm going to remember my this request for my son. I'm going to remember whatever your requests are. I'm going to focus my mind all day long long and focus on this request i need this wisdom so that that's what i did yesterday and um at the end of the day i was uh getting dressed changing uh we were babysitting our grandchildren so i was changing and like that the an answer popped into my spirit and i thought is that is that the answer lord is that the answer and I went downstairs and I shared it with Ron, and Ron said, yes, I agree with you. I agree that is, that, that's what he should do. So I thought, okay, great. I prayed more, and I really felt that's what the Lord had given me, and I called him up in here. The Lord had given him and Glenda the same information. That's his wife. So I just wanted to encourage you about, you know, t- Thank you if you're praying. We still need continued prayer. This threat is not over by any means. We we still don't even know if this is the man that's been doing it or not. I, I still covet your prayer. Um, and, again, I want to encourage you, when things come up that you really need to focus in on, fasting is just a great way to do it because you, you just clear out all the other interruptions. It's like tuning in a radio station. Have you ever gone to tune it in and you go to the left and it's static, you go to the right and it's static, you tune, 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 switch, 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 and finally you get that right spot where that those signals come in loud and clear. Well, that's what fasting does for my spirit. It just tunes me in. So I'm able to hear clearly from the Lord, and I'm not distracted by um, the many things that our, lo- our life throws at us. Thank you for praying. Hmm. Amen. Father, we just agree together that wisdom, understanding, and supernatural power, Father, Father, follows the obedience of your word. Father, we thank you for the wisdom that you give him, for that you give him insight, open up his eyes to see whatever it is this force is that's against him. And just as you showed us in your word, Samuel faced danger, faced obstacles, and they never got to him. 
Elisha was surrounded by the enemy and led them right into the heart of the city where they were surrounded by the army of Israel. Father, many times you've shown people where angels were manifested to the enemy to protect. We just thank you, Father, for the supernatural power. We don't go at this alone. We go at it with your power. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.